Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kale and Josh Carter. Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Kao. Josh isn't with us this week, but we have an awesome guest. It's Lido from Lido Corps. How are you, Lido? Doing well. Hi, Cynthia. It's good to have you. We've been talking about having you on the show for a while. I think you were here previously. This week, we're going to be having a special topic on mental health issues and how it affects veterans. So I'm excited to get started, especially since it is a Friday at 1 p.m. on the Pacific Coast. And we're going to be talking about mental health issues with veterans, um, especially on a Veterans Day week. So, you know, kick us off a little bit, Lito, for those uh, folks who haven't heard you before and um, tell me a little bit about your story with Battle Buddy. Sure. So Battle Buddy started out with this idea of how to use technology to help save veteran lives. And when I mean helping save veteran lives, I'm talking about suicide prevention efforts. And we started on this journey back in 2016 after I left special operations overseas. And when I came back, it was really one of those soul-searching periods of my life where I was like, what am I going to do now? Um, I always wanted to start a business. I knew that. And I've been, you know, dabbling here and there and figuring things out. Um, but it really wasn't until I, well, personally, I was suicidal myself. It, it wasn't until I kind of got to that point where I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I can use this big old brain of mine to solve this problem. Because if if someone like me, if I can have it, then there are probably other people out there who also are struggling with these things just you know, they don't have the avenue to talk about it openly. Right. And, so yeah. Tell me how Battle Buddy works. I know that, you know, your background is as a network engineer. Um, mm-hmm. How did Battle Buddy come about as a piece of technology that integrates both your technical side and your personal perspective? Sure. The, the, after a lot of uh, personal testing and professional technology testing, one of the things that I had learned about what it takes to prevent suicides was having a network. And by having a network, I mean a community of people you can talk to. And, and I'm not talking just like friends and family because you know, when you have somebody who's been prior service or prior military, you're going through different challenges and different things that normal human civilians don't get to see. So being able to commiserate over those shared experiences and just talk about that is probably the most therapeutic part, like group therapy, I, I, I wholly support it. Mm-hmm. And when you get out of your uniform or when you leave service, you realize that's one of the things that you miss the most is this community aspect. So we thought, hey, if we can f- find or create the technology to connect people serendipitously throughout their day-to-day activities, maybe that will help save lives because you won't feel alone. Yeah. So does it connect people that are in your geographical area or does it connect people based on, you know, um, a certain, okay. Yeah. So it's based on proximity and, you know, in our patent paperwork, it's, it's, it's highly technical ad hoc 
you know, zero random, yada, yada, yada. But the, the core of it is if, you know, you keep this device in your pocket and you go talk to a bunch of other people, then um, maybe one of those are, uh, is a veteran out of uniform and you, can, and you can chat or not, but you'll at least be notified that somebody's there. Um, however, I will say one thing. Um, the, the, the started back in 2016 with, you know, my initial team from 2016, to 2018, and it was, uh, I'll say just incredibly difficult as a first time founder, first time entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I will say that there was repeated failures of what the go to market strategy is, how to implement it, how to keep costs down, how to hire the right people. And I made all sorts of those mistakes. So we actually had to shelve battle buddy for a while. Hmm. And we're now approaching it in a different manner. Yeah. What are the what are the things that you changed about your approach? Well, first, stop spending so much money. Like, I, I mean, let's 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 start there. Um, you know, I I was able to I was lucky enough to get a significant salary working overseas, and you know, I used all of that to bootstrap all of my own stuff. Um, the problem with it was um, twofold. You know, me not knowing enough, and Secondly, uh, hiring the wrong people. I, it was definitely that, you know, I, I, um, there's no greater addition and no greater burden to your team than, than having people. And you're hoping that the people that you hire are, uh, more additions than they are subtractions and, and less headache. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, that was, that, those were, I would say the best. And then, and then, you know, speaking of like just inexperience that I had, like, you know, I, I come from a, tech and, and engineering background, like selling a product was never, um, you know, taught in my class or like, you know, was not necessarily my forte, but I do love to yeah. talk to the customer. I love to know what their pain points are and try to solve those. Um, but, you know, having a grand marketing strategy or grand sales strategy, um, I would definitely didn't have that. Right. And I think that having various personalities, different personalities, different strengths and skills on the team helps balance, you know, what you lend to the table. Um, I want to go back into the time period where you decided you were going to use your own mental health struggles for this business concept. And, you know, both mm -hmm. you and I have talked before on mental health issues. I come from a clinical background, spent 15 years as a clinical social worker before I went um, into uh, media production and, and digital work. And, and so my perspective is both clinical in approach and personal, um, but it, it, it influences everything I do on a daily basis. And there was a period of time where I, I wanted to separate what I did with work with yeah. who I was and it didn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. It didn't work. It I really work. struggled. And there, and so there was like two me's, right? There was this like forward facing me that I felt like I had to have it all together and be polished and put a happy face on and not talk to people about my struggles. And then there was a me that was very vulnerable and really like iso socially isolated from other people that even understood, like I had family and I had friends, but they weren't veterans. They didn't understand what I went through. They sometimes would look at me like I had three heads if I tried to talk about my service, right. you know? And so I learned not to even discuss it with them. And that felt incredibly isolating. Like at what point did you decide that being transparent and taking what you know and 
sharing your struggle. I mean, you're talking about like, hey, I was suicidal at one point. Like, that's not even easy to say. But um, I feel like your story, you've been able to kind of bring that to the public and and be very open and honest about that. Like, what shifted? Um, <laughs> I would say like, you know, a lot of it, and you know, we can criticize the military for the things that they've done wrong or done right. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. It's the 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 way that you've been taught in the military was like, oh, you have a problem, like deal with it yourself, like like lock it down, you know, lock like lock it down tight, like stuff it deep within you as much as possible. And only recent recently, with with the Air Force leading the way on this, uh, with the Army close behind, is opening up about that. It's like, look, it's a lot more courageous and a lot harder to actually talk about your feelings than it's just to hide it. Because you get all sorts of gallows humor with all, with with you know um, post traumatic stress or mental health disorders and things like that, but the way I like to look at it and it's worked really well with the army and I have to be crass here. Um, when when we think about war, uh, is this really funny statement that I heard? It was uh, you know our our enemies can't can't fuck with our armies, mm-hmm. but they can sure fuck with our heads, and being open about mental health struggles allows people to start identifying like, oh, okay, like something's going wrong. Something's bad. You know, the office of suicide prevention is all over this, but the problem is you still have the cultural and social stigma within, you know, the ranks of the enlisted folks. I mean, I was enlisted. It's like, you're never going to talk about being suicidal or like yep. having a mental health day. Like that's, you know, um, that's pussy shit is, is what they would say. Like that, yep. that's, that's the same rhetoric I had. It, it wasn't until almost a decade after I got out of service, you know, that it, it really started to connect. And, and you, you can say it's the changing times of, of, of the generation of, of, you know, mid 2010s and 2020 that the younger generations are a lot more open about their mental health struggles. And, and we talk about it openly on the internet and, some people are still trying to find their small tight community of veterans so that we could talk about those things in an, in a judgment free zone. It's just, Hey, dude, yeah, what I, are you stressed about? Um, he's like, right. Oh, well, you know, I have survivors <laughs> guilt because my buddy died and I've stayed alive. Like, I yeah. mean, keeping it real, I, I think just social evolution has forced us to change. It forces you to change because if you stay the same, you aren't going to get better. Right. And I kind of feel like, there is this stodgy, older, especially when you're in special ops, when you're in, in some sort of either special ops or ranger or specific uh, special forces type environment, it's even harder. Or if you're combat arms, if you're in some sort of combat position, there is a, a push with like, you got to man up. There's a lot of this kind of, this kind oh, of yeah. rhetoric, right? Or... Um, you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Like the older folks, the Vietnam vets, the Korean War, World War II guys said that a lot. Um, I know older vets who don't use the word PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. They don't believe it's a disorder. They might say, I have PTS, but I don't yeah. have a disorder because a disorder is what you make of it. And I get that understanding, but there really is like clinical science that shows your brain changes when exposed to trauma, you know? And yeah. Um, processing like being exposed to to violence and normalizing that and then coming home 
<laughs> and then trying to adjust to civilian life is a is a completely different culture shock. Like like your brain, yeah. you've been almost like you're brainwashed into thinking like, I've got to be strong. I've got to be the warrior. I've got to hold it all together. And then what happens is your body starts to fall apart. Like your own, your own brain is starting to, is trying to heal itself. And so when you come home and you're dealing with day-to-day stuff, mm. you might have trouble focusing. You might have intrusive thoughts. You might have the nightmares. Um, you're a little more sensitive around certain times Social of the year, especially. Yeah, exactly. Hyperparanoia, hypervigilance, all of those things. All of those things. And, but yet, like, it's really hard for people to talk about it because there is this fear. And I almost feel like it, mental health issues are different with the gender norms too, because I feel like females who deal with it, you might think that it's easier, but female veterans have been taught, like, you can't be emotional because that means you're weak, you know? Oh, right. Because you have to, like, counteract the assumptions already. I see what Mm -hmm. you're saying. I'll say this. Um, I was I was I was chuckling a little bit later because I remember um, it was around December 2015. I was still soft, still overseas, um, and the movie Sicario came out. Yeah, and Guillermo del Toro did a great job on it. I was like, "Whoa, this is like legit!" And I was I was like super entertained and enthralled with this with this movie. I'm not connected anyway or anything, but I remember enjoying this movie so much. And then like three years later, you know, I'm home here in Vegas, and we're doing our day-to-day life and i'm like i'm gonna go watch this movie again and i was like oh my god this is so gruesome like oh this is ridiculous you know like yeah it was like it felt like another me was talking because i've um you know your brain and the human human body is so easily able to adapt to the new environment you have like that first initial shock going overseas and you normalize it you know i was Mm -hmm. overseas for two years 33 months altogether and you come back to the states and your your thought processes are so different and then i knew and and this is this was what sucked being knowing that um this was my second uh excuse me my third deployment i knew and i felt guilty about this at the time i knew that coming back in six months i'm going to be just like everybody else i'm going to be complaining about the same issues about uh, my broken smartphone about (laughs) traffic about you know and i'm going to be guilty about that because I just came from a place where that wasn't the issue. The issue was how do we stop people from, I say people, how do we stop terrorists from killing their people or enslaving them or being a, a mafioso over there? Like, you know, the problems were so, so different farther away, you know, three, 4,000 miles away than it is here. And I know I'm going to feel guilty about complaining about these problems. And that hurt. <laughs> Well, and there and there's a flip side too, because when I came home, I was very reactive to uh, people leaving the lights on and when they weren't even in the house or right, the right. kids, you know, left the water on and, you know, they're brushing their teeth and they're just like fooling around, right. leaving the TV on, um, complaining about the 10 gifts they didn't get for Christmas. Like, you know, that kind right. of stuff really bothered me more than it should have, but it really bothered me because I remember one time for Christmas, the kids were fighting over toys and I mean, they're, they're kids, they're little. Mm-hmm. And I just lit into them and I said, well, if you're going to complain, I'm going to take all your toys. Like you don't get any, because you don't know what it's like on the other side of the world when people are dying so, and they have nothing. But statement. of course, but my yes. family looked at me, like the kids literally looked at me like I was evil. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? but and that, then, that, that statement, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't know what other people are like. And like part of that is, 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 is on both sides, right? It, it, you can't, 
blame civilians for not knowing because it, it's not in them to know. You know, they didn't volunteer. They don't know as much as you do. You haven't. They haven't experienced, and they don't. You know, I, I would say like deserve to know. And, and we can't hate on our our kids or our, our civilian population to not or be ignorant to those experiences because a lot of them would probably have the same mental health issues that we have. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't wish that type of like evil or ill fate like that they had experienced. I just wish that, you know, people could uh, at least understand the same mental health struggles that we have to go through because we've seen some shit. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's fucked up. And you know, that's, that's just the state of war. Yeah, for sure. And I think education and having patience and allowing yourself to adjust um, instead of kind of coming down on the family members or, or your or your fellow civilians for not understanding. Yeah. You know, it takes a bit of time. Like you have to, it's like going from, I feel like this is what your brain does when you're exposed to that kind of trauma and you normalize violence, yeah. you bring that home. And, and I've seen a lot of vets get into bad relationships, romantic relationships, because they've normalized violence you know they don't know how to they don't know what a healthy relationship looks like or um you know you don't know what to ask for in your worth with your with your job um even your interactions with business like i've seen founders who the number one issue is not necessarily making good business decisions or or good technical decisions but it is that inability to heal from your veteran stress or your veteran you know um disorder it could be it could be a tbi it could be ptsd um it could be just adjustment issues that are temporary um but people aren't aware that that there's multi layers and also there's an assumption that all veterans are screwed up (laughs) and all veterans have ptsd which is not true um right because civilians have it too right but there's a there's this whole adjustment period and i want to kind of talk about that but we'll take a little bit of a break right now for um our commercial break and then we'll come right back you're listening to veteran founder podcast we have Lido on the show and this week we're discussing mental health issues we'll be right back this hour of the startup radio network is supported by bridges to change bridges to change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions mental health poverty and homelessness They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. Thanks for joining us. We have Lido from Lido Core on the show today, and we're talking about mental health issues affecting veterans. So, Lido, you were talking a little bit about, you know, um, the adjustment phase and and understanding, you know, civilians that mm-hmm. don't necessarily have the perspective that we do. What are ways that we can help educate people? How do we educate each other as veterans? And then how do we educate civilians? You know, I had this great friend of mine. His name's Dan. He actually stayed with me while I was still running an Airbnb. He was a prior infantry Purple Heart recipient and turned into an occupational therapist. And, you know, he was, he, it, was it was essentially sharing his stories of 
you know, transitioning back or, you know, getting over the reverse culture shock when coming from an overseas deployed environment back to the United States and, you know, trying to live with all of these new experiences that you have. And the one thing that was, that really stuck, stuck to me and still sticks to me this day was, was again, that same message that it's, you can't blame everyone else around you for not experiencing what you have experienced. You have to understand that although people may look the same and you may feel the same, that you are a different person. And, and coming back from overseas duty or even getting out of the military, you are not just you know, a civilian again. You are prior military. You are mm-hmm. a veteran. You have done something. And I, I talked about this back in the day, you know, during the, the try, trying to identify like the, these root problems, societal root problems or cultural root problems of like the veteran community. And on one hand, you have like uh, the old, you know, mad dog type of people who are, are just like the OGs of, of what it's like being, being, a, being a military person. And on the other hand, you have all of these people who uh, uh, don't subscribe to that ideology where they say, you know what, I don't feel veteran enough to receive my benefits. I don't feel like I'm worth all of this, all this, these things brought to me because I, I didn't see combat or if I did, mm-hmm. I didn't shoot anybody or if I shot somebody, I didn't kill them or if I killed them, I didn't kill enough. Like, where does the line get drawn? Yeah. And at that point, now you're like, uh, you know, like you have so many people who have all of these resources available to them, but won't actively seek them out because they don't feel qualified. And I call that uh, veteran imposter syndrome. Oh, like I definitely, I definitely struggle with that for sure. Yeah. Because I was a reservist, I did too. Yeah. you know, so I, to I me, it's comms. like, right. To me, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I wasn't aviation. And if you're air force, you're not aviation. You're kind of like, well, you're just support staff. Right? Um, right. And I did media embed and I, I had my share of struggles and, and combat that I saw, but I didn't really talk about it because I, I one, I didn't feel validated. Two, um, I just considered myself, well, you know, you, you're a reservist, you weren't full-time, you come back and you go right b- back into your civilian job. Yeah. Um, and so I, I discredited my experience and it wasn't until I started talking about my experience until I started validating myself to say, this was my experience, this is what I, I went through. Um, and yes, like you don't have to be, you know, I hear this from people who maybe were the Vietnam era veterans that say, well, I wasn't forward deployed, you know, I'm a Vietnam era veteran. I'm not a Vietnam veteran, but it, and, and, and there's people, cause for me, the first deployment, I was not part of OIF OEF. I was in a humanitarian peacekeeping mission in East Africa. And so then there's that you're not validated because you're not part of this group, you know, the IAVA and, you know, you're suddenly like, Oh, I can't really identify with all these other people that went to the big war. Um, And there's that like feeling of legitimacy and identity. And so those are like the major themes I've been seeing for veterans coming back home is they're looking for legitimacy and they're looking for identity. And when you take off your uniform, they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do next. And, you know, for founders, entrepreneurs, it makes sense because those same skill sets that you learned while you were in the military also work for you while you're running a business. But the difficulty comes from 
talking to people in the in a manner that might not be the the way that you talk to people when you were uh running a squad or you know mm-hmm. leading a military platoon um making the decisions that you did then so it's kind of like a double-edged sword some of it works sometimes it's like okay i probably need to readjust and pivot <laughs> it, it's i'm glad you brought up like you know the actual founder part of this of, of being mm-hmm. a veteran founder it's like why are we so heavily inclined to hire other veterans is because we want to be in our own tribe again or like yeah. build our own thing. Uh, but, you know, when, you know, it, it's often joked like, uh, you know, when somebody asks you, you just met for the first time, hey, what do you do? You know, like your job is a huge part of your identity. Mm-hmm. And when you're going through those transitionary phases, like post-military and I'm trying to find a job, you know, I'm I'm trying to find a good job title i'm trying to find validity in my position i'm trying to find a new tribe that's 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 transition process is hard and i know we've you know we originally connected over operation code which both josh is uh, a part of and, and, and conrad and we've been able to connect these dots to help uh, get veterans into software development jobs the question that i like to pose to a lot of veterans is you know you've been working for the man for the long time, you know, capital, capital, the man, mm-hmm. why don't you try to start your own thing, become a self-employed person? That's the dream anyway. Um, and what, what do you find the biggest challenges for people who don't, they don't realize that was an option to begin with. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't, I was like, Oh man, I love entrepreneurship. I love, well, I'm a workaholic anyway, but like <laughs> I get to search, I get to set my own time and I don't have to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Like I'm still going to get, 16 hours of work done during the day. Don't get me wrong, but at least I get to like have a little bit of uh, autonomy and control over my schedule. Like that alone is great. Will I be struggling? Absolutely. Like entrepreneurship is the hardest job in the world, but it's worth it. And, and, and I will double down on that statement too. Like being soft, like going out there, shooting bad guys in the face or dropping warheads on foreheads. I mean, (laughs) the struggles of entrepreneurship and like, the people problems is so much easy. Like it's so much harder than just like, okay, this person doesn't exist anymore. And that's no longer a problem. I I joke, but like even some, some seals that I know, or some guys from CAG, uh, you know, who've started their own businesses. It's just like, bro, I wish I could go back overseas right now and just put my battle rattle on and just have a simple, you know, you know, pull my index finger and I, I've done my job for the day instead of like biz dev meetings and team scrums and whatever. Like <laughs> I, I feel. Yeah. And having emotional intelligence yeah, and having patience and, intelligence and patience. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, all those memes, somebody. all of those memes are coming to my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of this, try this, try Greg. This. Yeah. <laughs> like you really like, there's a lot of things that, you know, you can and you can't, Dude, there's, 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 um, you know, there's, there's efficiency gains and, uh, you know, being optimal that you get in the military, which is really great because that, that keeps you from, um, getting to having a bloated ship and, you know, we can, we can say that we've learned from the biggest, uh, company in the world, a fortune one company, the U S department of defense, you know, like, uh, we can $15 trillion market cap, like it's pretty ridiculous on how much you can learn from what an enterprise system looks like and then take all the things 
that you want to kind of get to and then start over from from scratch and build it, build those tight agile teams, build your um, you know surface warfare teams, your, your little strike teams that can go out, get shit done, come back and and pivot or persevere as people yeah. like to call it. You know, I was I was thinking back to what you said about um, enlisted members versus officer members, and I wonder, is it different for enlisted folks or officers to to basically run a business? Oh, absolutely. Just because, and then and then the other thing I've noticed is time in service. The length of the, your time in service, the longer you stay in. So when you get out and you're forty something, right, and you've spent your entire career in the military, active duty. It is much harder for somebody to kind of pivot into this is how we work with civilians. Okay, this is how we, you know, discuss trials. Like it's so much different when you're in the service and there is a a battle rhythm and a very clear objective, a very clear mission. And when you get out, you know, running a business is messy. It's not that clear cut. There's so many things that are gray areas. And then you might overthink like, geez, did I make the right decision? Because nobody's telling you, like, there's no chain of command that's telling you this is what you have to do. You know, there's the decision is there in front of you. And sometimes there's almost like this paralyzing fear of, am I going to make the right decision? You know, there's, there's two sides. There's like people that don't ask for any help whatsoever. And then there's people that are almost paralyzed by having too many decisions and not like being told what to do. Cause you've been told what to do in the military for so long. The, um, the way I look at it, like, especially now, or, you know, I, I have my own biases, but I like, who do I trust? If, if I was an investor, if I put on the hats of an investor and I got a million dollars to spend, um, on, on a personal angel fund, I would spend more money on the, the junior enlisted and junior commissioned officers than I would the, you know, the, the formal generals or 06s or, or, or chiefs. And the reason for that is when you are running an entrepreneurial firm, uh, a startup, a tech startup, or you know, whatever, fintech, ag tech, mm-hmm. whatever it is you're running, it could be clothing. You want people who are actually doing work. You're not managing because there's nothing to manage. What you are doing is trying to find work. You're trying to hustle. And I want people who are, you know, your, your, your E3s, E4s, E5s doing work still versus just managing people. There'll be a time for that when you grow and you do need those captains and generals, uh, captain in, in Navy, but those colonels and generals mm-hmm. later down the road when you get big, but you don't need those right now. You need a strike team. You need a small group of people that can go out and get stuff done. Like worn off, especially for startups, right? For startups, it's like you're wearing multiple hats. You have to be agile. You have to have multiple skills. Um, You roll up your sleeves and you do it. And and um, it can be hard. It can be really hard for people who have this mindset of, "Hey, I'm used to having a team of people that I can just delegate." Yeah, that's that's not that's not you, man. Like when, (laughs) like I, you know, like on our products, like I write the code. You know, I, I write the code, build designs, and Roy embeds it. Like we each play a part in it. Mm-hmm. Has my responsibilities and duties changed over time? Absolutely. I do a lot more meetings now. I do a lot of the biz calls, and I try to make the pitch deck look great. But that doesn't mean we need a big time CEO right now. What we need is to find a way to get get to market as quickly as possible, establish our foothold, and then continue to deliver value to our customers. And if yeah. we can do that, then sure, we'll have enough money to to take us to the moon and back if we if we wanted to with 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 you know uh, super 
professional C-level executives that have been doing this for 20, 25 years, but we're not there yet. And I think a lot of people, uh, when they get into even even like the, the the dreams of entrepreneurship, like they think you can just go really quick, uh, get some money, grow really big, and then you know that's it. Congratulations! Like no, you still have to sustain that. You still have to maintain all of that. That's where those people come into place. But getting to that point, the the path to get there, you need you know you need your enlisted folks. You need your junior commissioned officers. Sure. Let me uh, pivot to you know, the coping mechanisms or coping skills that founders can use, veteran founders can use, um, especially when they're, it, it might not be PTSD, it might, it, it might not be from combat related stuff either. We're talking about uh, the spectrum of disorders here, but, you know, just running a business is very anxiety provoking. <laughs> and there are, I mean, that's an understatement, but, you know, there are times when you're like, oh my gosh, what, you know, where's my next contract coming from? Where's my next client? Yeah. You know, this one just fell through. What's happening now? I got to fire this guy because he's not doing his job. Yeah. Like it, it just leads to a lot of depression and anxiety and there's no safety net. Like in the military, you have this paycheck or, you know, no matter if you, even if you were the worst person ever that didn't get your job done, you'd get a counseling statement or right. something. Right. Um, but when you're running your business, you don't have that. You basically, if you screw up, it's on you. What are some coping skills that you've learned? I I'm a I'm a big venter. Like I will, you know, like you know, I I want to say thank you for for setting up our founder circle where we can just bitch about the problems of of what it's like being a, a founder for those who have done it before, or those who are starting and who are in the process right now. I mean that helps. That helps all the time. Having somebody, you know, on your side, uh, that can be your support group and, and you know. Yeah, friends and family can can get you part of the way there, but you really want to talk to other founders, like especially ones that you would love to do business with or are doing business with, because more than likely, you know, they are going through the same problems you are. I mean, one of my closest friends um, was just a person we did business together with, and you know, they've they've had the same problems of like, dang, we need money, we need to raise funding, like this contract fell through, uh, this customer didn't get back to us, like you know. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's incredibly stressful and, and just being able to like open up about it. And again, just commiserate that it's not a, almost like it's not a unique experience. It's, it's something that people share, like they can understand and vibe with that is, that goes a really long way. And yeah, for sure. There's something that I mentioned in my, um, the show that where Josh interviewed me and uh, kind of launched my presence here on Veteran Founder Podcast. And I mentioned early on in my career as a, as a new founder, uh, especially as a female, I had a hard time seeing other people as allies. I automatically looked at other peop other founders as you're my competitor. And that set me up for failure because I didn't share my struggles. I didn't have anybody to talk to. Um, one, I was very isolated as a veteran. And then I was also very isolated as a female founder. Um, and it wasn't until very recently, the last couple of years, that I purposely like kicked myself in the ass. Like, you need to get out there. You need to meet people. You need to talk to people. You need to be open and transparent. Like, yes, careful who you trust and like develop that relationship, you know, and, um, but really that veteran circle is quite small. And then finding like our fellow veteran founders 
gender is it's the even smaller group but it's almost like when you talk to somebody they've been in the service they understand the difficulties and then they're they're also understanding the struggles it's as if you've always kind of had this bond that you just yeah. never met but like you're speaking the same language yeah. you know and and i asked myself like why the heck did i wait so long because there was this stigma of you can't talk to anybody about your struggles. And I've noticed this with the PTSD. I've got, as I've gotten better, as I've been able to share my story and as I've learned coping skills on my own, like the going to therapy regularly, like even talking about medicine, like people don't like to talk about being on meds or, oh, there's a stigma because I'm on meds and, you know, and, and that's starting to change. Um, practicing good self-care, setting mm-hmm. boundaries, um, making sure that you have people that care about you, that check in on you. Like these are all really helpful tips that logically most people know how to do. But when it comes down to implementing it, I think you add together veterans and you add together founders and those two populations are we're like the most stubborn group of people <laughs> you'll ever meet. You know, we don't ask for help. Uh, and it's really hard. Like it's really hard to talk to your friends and family because they think, oh, you're great. You're, you have this business. It's doing really well. And if you talk about your weaknesses, it's almost like, oh, well, you know, somebody's going to judge you. Um, So I just think that, you know, apart from finding a really, really good therapist, and I think therapy for most people, they're like, oh, you know, I'm worried about the stigma. But to me, I kind of look at it like, okay, do you get your haircut? Do you, do you enjoy like going to make sure you look good or like going to the salon? I kind of look at it like that. It's like, there's things that you do or going to the gym. You take care of yourself physically. Why don't we take care of ourselves mentally? Um, And it's also the same way with uh, helping people with their business, like asking for help or doing professional development, sharing that within a close-knit circle, a close community. It's a little bit like taking the pressure off, like the valve, you're opening that pressure valve. And if you have nowhere to release it, that's when people start to have these symptoms where over time, even somebody who doesn't have any mental health disorders, over time that pressure builds up and the symptoms that you're starting to feel or your body breaks down, your physical health breaks down, your lack of sleep, grinding your teeth, you know, stomach issues, eating issues, all of that is linked. And, and I wish that we did talk about this more and I'm, I'm really glad we're having this specific show and I think we can have multiple um uh, multiple segments of like tackling specific topics, but you know, what are, what do you see as the biggest challenge right now for implementing that, like p- that piece of the puzzle of getting connected, of bringing the community together? That is a really hard question. <laughs> I'll be I honest. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it really, it, it's a, it's a community effort. You know, it takes a lot of, um, you know, I, I, you know, Conrad's a great mentor of mine. He's an advisor on our board, you know, He's like, look, I, I, I kind of, I, I was bitching to him back in the days, like, man, our customers are a bunch of divas. And he was like, well, how do you get divas in line? Like when you were in soft, how do you, you know, how do you uh, get change enacted? And immediately I said, follow the leader. It's always follow the leader. So you have mm-hmm. to like set up, set that example so that other people will follow because, you know, whether you like it or not, people start to look at you as um, a, a beacon of what is, you know, what is the thing that we should be doing and what is the thing that we should not be doing and setting yourself as an example of like oh my senior leader just openly talked about his mental health struggles or she just talked to me about you know taking a, a stress day because this client meeting was horrendous like oh okay cool like it's it's okay for me to to do that because that's important 
to her and it probably should be something that's important to me. So yeah. setting the example, I think is, is a great way to start. And again, one of the reasons why I like to be really open about this is that it took me a long time to, to get to the point, like you said, like, hey, I, I was suicidal. I'm over it now. Um, but it I didn't get over it until I started talking about it yeah. and, and sharing those struggles. And, and that's uh, the best way to do it. And I've been able to commiserate with a, with a, a, a small um, but tight group of people who had those same struggles, who are, you know, prior servers, prior USMC, uh, prior Coast Guard, prior whatever. And, you know, they, they, they vibe with this idea that I've been holding all of this stuff in without an outlet to share these feelings. Um, and if somebody could just at least understand it and, and just recognize that this is valid, then it would go a long way. And that's yeah, it. for sure. You know, you talked about like setting an example as a leader. What are ways that um, us founders can set the tone at work with our employees? Uh, well, I mean, even my team, we do a stand-up meeting uh, three times a week because we're all remote. So being able to, you know, uh, set the tone for the start of the week, um, how things are going in the middle of the week, and then like wrapping things up at the end of the week is is really good. And I'll be honest, I miss a couple of them. But as I tell them, like, I will never impose a rule that I myself can't follow. Right? I like, mm -hmm. it's like, hey guys, if you if you want to show up at 9 a.m. in the morning, like three times a week, then go ahead and do it. But I'm not incentivizing you to do so. It's all on you if you feel that that it's good. Um, but you know, I will always pick up my phone. I will always call me. I will always be available if you uh, if you call me. And like those are small things that I didn't have to say, but it's just you know. Um, kind of like those unwritten rule sets, like your the 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 culture of of the company, and even even earlier, um, before this, we had a we had another call with another biz dev um, potential partnership, and you know in the middle of the call, we were kind of like all on the same page, even though we didn't have to say anything. We'd like, yeah, this is definitely not the partner for us. Like, mm. no, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that comes over time but um setting the ground rules of like the expectations and writing it down in paper and then having you know smart goals or like a code of conduct really does help and goes a long way but more than just policy it, it goes down comes down to uh emulate the behavior that you want other people in your company to produce like if, if you are if you are a person who is a workaholic and you want other workaholics, or if you want workaholics in your company, you should probably be a workaholic yourself. You know, I got, I remember when we hired Roy, he was like, I'm guessing there's not really weekends. And I was like, I mean, they're, they exist. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm never going to impose it, but you know, I, I send notifications. I and like, um, Again, like the whole idea of follow the leader. Like I overshare information. None of it has to be actionable. Just keep it in your inventory and in your brain space to think about. Uh, it, it, those, those are the small tactics that I have. Um, I, I do want to say one last thing too. And, mm -hmm. and you mentioned this earlier about like diversity and things like that. I think like 
the military was one of the most diverse organizations I got a part of. Like people from all around the country, some people who didn't even speak English. English is a second mm-hmm. language. Blacks, whites, Asians, Latinos, whatever. You, you, they took everybody. And for me, I'm very objective with hiring. Like I, I don't care what the background is as long as you can do work. As long as you have the aptitude, attitude, and the cultural fit that we have to get shit done. Mm-hmm. If that's who you are, then it like I, I I don't care if you have one arm, one leg, no legs, like you're you're blind, but if you're the best coder in the world and you know you need braille or touch, like we will accommodate because all I care about is excellence, regardless of where they come from. Yeah, like one thing is empowering um people and recognizing, you know, how to how to give people an outlet. And um, so for me on my team for Rebirth Media, like we would have really long days and especially when things are due and it's end of sprint. And there's times where I'm like, you know what? Take the Friday off. Like, let's go. We were in Europe. So I'm like, let's go to Spain. Let's go hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's do happy hour. And I'm I'm very much like, like a play hard, work hard kind of person. Like you really have to have that kind of balance. And I... I, I don't like environments. Me personally, I don't thrive well in environments where it's just task-oriented, where people just kind of go, what's the status on this? And what's the deliverable on that? And blah, blah. And it's just like, check the box. Like to me, I need to get to know the people I work with and I need to at least have some sort of connection. And if you're not connected, you can be connected remote if the team has a good cultural fit, if they work at it, you know. Yeah. Um, if it, and it doesn't matter whether you're in the office or out of the office, uh, hundred percent remote, like if people don't communicate well and they don't share anything personally and same with me, like if I have to take a day, a mental health day off, I tell them I'm taking a mental health day off. And, and I hope that that kind of inspires other people to do the same thing. Like if they need to take a mental health day off, because yes, we work hard, but at the same time, we all have to recognize when to start caring for each other. Because one thing I thought about like a few years ago is you, it, there, most of the time you're spending more hours at work with your colleagues than you are at home with your families. And so the people that you work with really get to know you on a very intimate basis. They see you every day. And if you're not sharing things, like people don't know how to check in on you. They don't know how to, you know, and even founders, like we need that, you know, and there's times where I'll talk to another founder, just checking in to see how you are. And they're like, nobody's ever asked me before. <laughs> like nobody, nobody asked how I was doing. I'm like, yeah, because we don't think about that. Right. We think everybody's got to have it all together when you, you're running the show, but we're all human beings. We all have struggles. Right. We may not talk about it openly, at work. But, you know, if you say, Hey, I'm going to take a vacation, like taking vacation is another big thing for founders that we don't do often enough. Um, or, you know, I think recently, like you, you took a vacation, a staycation, I should say within the state or, uh, somewhere close to home. And like, you were advocating for everybody. Hey, I advocate for you guys all to take vacation. (laughs) Like I know we're in the pandemic, but y'all need to just get offline. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, look, I'm I was like, I am stressed, period. And if I'm stressed, all of you guys must be stressed too. Like, yeah. And like, yeah, it resonates. Like, it was, it was something that, you know, I feel like we were all like, um, waiting for summer, kind of. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it turns out like, no, nah, there's no bricks. Just get back to work because everybody's trying to catch up. Or, and you, you couldn't take the time because, uh, in, 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 Spite of in, in because of the recent times, 
you had to figure out ways to survive, right? Like you were in this whole survival mode. And that is very bad for you mentally. It's very bad for you physically. It's it's just horrible. And it's you know, being like being okay to take with a break is something that myself and Kayla have to struggle with all the time. Like, look, we have a lot of life left. Like left to live. I just turned 30. Yay. But we have a lot of Congratulations. Life Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the second half. <laughs> <laughs> like well like um like there is all of this time and we're we're trying to rush so that we can we can get ahead. And that's great. But don't forget to take a break. Like take care of yourself, you know, love thyself as they say. Yeah, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I learned when I was for uh, a newbie photojournalist getting into the field, um, one, uh, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what yes. to ask, right? So don't assume that you know everything and, and ask for help. Two, don't forget to live life behind the lens. And it's so true because especially when you're the one producing or you're the one that's kind of creating the, the product, you forget to live life outside of that box. You're kind of in the sandbox and your your life is that machine or that piece of code right, or right. whatever you're editing. And it's often that you're looking at users or how people are interacting with your product on the other side. And meanwhile, you're the one that's forgetting to live because your whole life revolves around your business and revolves around you know, this piece of product. And um, so I, I think I want to end on that because, you know, I think we've talked a lot about, uh, multiple things, so many different coping skills and just various challenges that we have faced as veterans, but, you know, living life outside of the lens and being able to stop and press pause for a second, I think is like the really, the first step to self-acknowledgement and self-awareness to mental health issues. Agreed. Any other tips you want to add? Uh, no, but if, if you play video games, reach out to me because we have a solution for you. Cool. How can people find you? Oh, you can go to the LitoCorp.com website or you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just Lito Villanueva. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Lito. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I learn something every time and we uh, have lots of laughs and I go, oh, I'm not the only crazy one around here. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe I'm not crazy. It's just normal, you know, depending on how you look at it. Exactly. Um, so it's it's been awesome to chat. I'm thanking all of our members for listening today and join us next week on the Veteran Founder Podcast. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.